0: In today's episode, I'll be reading out to you the intro to part 2 and chapter 11. Chapter 11 is called A White Christmas. This is of my book, Crashing Into Potential, Living With My Injured Brain. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Crashing Into Potential podcast where I give you the latest tips and tricks to help you stay on top of your mental game. My name is Scott B. Harris, and I'm the author of the book, Crashing In Potential, Living With My Injured Brain. It's a memoir that was written and published after a dirt bike accident that nearly took my life. In season two of this podcast, I will be reading part two of my book. Part two outlines how I chose to overcome the adversity that I face strap yourself in because the show is about to start. Hey, hey everyone, welcome back to the Crashing in the Potential podcast. If this is your first time, welcome to the Crashing in the Potential podcast and if you've already heard me speak last year in this podcast welcome back merry christmas and a happy new year to everyone that is listening welcome to 2021 (laughs) what a year 2020 was eh Uh, i spent most of the year i guess as most as most people did cooped up inside my home office upstairs working away Side by side with my partner, Jasmine. Well, funny enough, 2020 actually turned out to be uh, a pretty bloody good year. And that was for a number of reasons. One being, uh, one being the launch of, of, of our VCAL literacy program in schools. Uh, another being the launch of this podcast, which I spent most of the year doing, which was, uh, which was great, which is a great learning experience, which is really fun. And uh, there's another thing that uh, 2020 brought to my life, and I will be waiting until, uh, until the end of this season of the podcast, uh, after I've read the book, to tell you about this exciting news that I have for you. I'm not going to tell you now what that news is. You'll understand when I, uh, when I tell you. you, you'll understand why I waited that long. If you haven't already, hit like, hit follow, hit whatever you want on whatever social media you play with, and you can do so by searching for The Injured Brain. The more support I get from my listeners, uh, the more value that I can bring to you in your life. Uh, On top of that, you can basically hit me up uh, anytime, any place, uh, wherever you are uh, in this world, I guess. Uh, And you'll hear back from me. Maybe not straight away, but I will try my hardest to get back to you ASAP. Without further ado, let's get into it. And as I was last year, and as I am every year, I'm very, very grateful for everything that I have in my life. So to start off, I want to show my gratitude to you taking the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say. You see, time is the most precious resource that we can never get back. So I, I really do appreciate you spending your most valuable asset listening to me share my story and share my wisdom and share everything I can to help you get the most out of your life. So thank you very much. If you are reading along with me, you can turn to page 89, which is the first page of the introduction to part 2. The first thing I was asked when I entered rehab was, what did I want to get out of my time there? What level would I set the bar? Slowly, I came to realize that the level at which we set the bar would ultimately determine the outcome. The first nugget of rehabilitation gold thrown at me was to, to do with goal setting. I caught it and I've been using it ever since. Goal setting. That's it. It's so simple. Think of goals as a roadmap. If you don't know where you're going, you won't get there. Or at least you may not take the quickest route. Setting and achieving goals have be- have become a very big part of my life and I truly believe that they are the reason I am where I am today. I also learned to set the bar high. Aim for major goals with smaller ones along the way. When I look back at a time when I was 100% able in my body and mind, I could have and should have strived for a lot more in life. I should have strived to achieve more goals and set the bar high, as high as it would go. I truly believe that there are many people, most people in fact, who are not reaching their full potential the bar is not set as high as it could be my mission in life now is in to encourage people to change their views on what they can achieve with the with my inability to do many things i still work hard to achieve as many as as I, as i possibly can and i believe others can do this too since my accident I have met people in similar situations to my own who also wish they had, had tried a little harder when they could have and strived a bit more when they had no barriers. I've met quadriplegics who wish they had been more active when they had the use of their limbs, amputees who wish they had played more sport and patients with injured brains who wish they had tried harder at school so that, so that everything in life wasn't such a challenge now. I use the term barriers because that's all they are. I believe that these barriers can be overcome through the goals we set and achieve. We could talk about what could have and what should have been, and I wish this and I wish that, but the truth is we can't change the past. So instead of infecting our minds with this negative and discouraging thinking, let's concentrate on what we can achieve. Let's concentrate on... On what we can still do and achieve. we to page 90. Before my accident I was having the best year of my life. Then all of a sudden I was fighting for my life. From day dot I was determined to get my life back. And that gave me direction. It was the reason I tried so hard and became motivated to make things work. Yes, I've come unstuck at times. Well... I've come unstuck for a long long time, in fact, but I've always been heading towards, the, towards one direction. After my accident, I set a life-changing goal to travel the world solo. My desire to live life fully led me to enjoy or get through some of the most amazing experiences, which I would never have had otherwise. I gained confidence, found love and rediscovered the abilities I thought I had lost. By sharing my journey and my experiences here, I want to show that we can all achieve the goals that we set when we tackle them with determination, persistence and a bit of courage. That is the end of the introduction and we are up to page 91. Chapter 11 is called A White Christmas and the quote that goes with this chapter Wow, what a brave thing to do This will change his life By Nicole Harris Nicole Harris is my sister And I'm just going out of the book here quickly Uh, She is my sister And she went travelling When she was younger uh, When she was about 24 She went and did a year abroad Over in in London And we went and travelled We went as a family went and visited her when she was over there, and I thought that that was the first, uh, that was the first and the only time I'd um, really experienced any kind of um, seeing the world of backpacking and seen the world of travelling before I had actually gone out and done it myself. So that was a little bit of a backstory as to what that, uh, where that quote came from. Okay. In four years after my accident, I had gone from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, and it was time to reclaim my life. And to do that, I needed to get away. I had set a goal to go snowboarding in Canada, and I feel that the time was right to make my dream come true. I had been thinking about and preparing for this goal for the last two and a half years. I had been fixated on it every second of every day since the weekend at the snow that changed my life. I had reached a point where my head was hurting, literally. With depression lingering in the background, I was ready to take my biggest risk ever. With one working arm, a severely injured brain, balanced so bad I, could even, I couldn't even ride a bike, and a different personality that I was still fighting to accept, I left Australia, bringing with me a whole backpack full of fears. I didn't know it then, but I was about to embark on the biggest and most badass adventure of my entire life. Off I went with Daddy's credit card ready to swipe away. (laughs) Ha! If only. No, Dad wisely wouldn't let me take his, so... Like everyone else, I had to dig deep into my own pockets. I was always great I will always be grateful for the support TAC in brackets Transport Accident Commission of Victoria has offered since my accident. Not only have they given me financial support, they've also been a big player in my mission to get back into life. We're now on page 92. Since the day of my accident, my income was never jeopardised, thanks to TAC. Not only did they cover me medically after my accident, but they also covered part of my income. This meant that I was still able to support myself, even though my full-time job was getting better. All of this was because I was riding a registered motorbike. Get this for luck. When I bought the bike, it came with full registration, which was due to run out a couple of months after I, I had my accident. If I hadn't been registered and I had decided not to bother because I was only riding in, in, on a mate's farm, the bike would have not been covered by insurance. So many people out there who ride and drive unres- unregistered vehicles are just playing with fire in a gas plant. Have you ever been in a paddock bomb? Yeah, they're just bombs ready to go off when you when you crash in the paddock. Without insurance, not many people would have been able to afford the care I need for the rest of my life. Now, back to the cash situation. During my six months in hospital and for the next three and a half years in rehab, I didn't spend a cent. After all, besides the hospital gift Besides the hospital gift shop, uh, there's not much to spend your cash on, so you don't. So, I left Australia with enough cash saved to keep me keep me going for a while, as long as I was careful. Now, when I, going out of the book as well, again, uh, when I was in hospital uh, for the first, well, when I was in hospital for, for six months, I was still getting paid my Wage well 80 percent of my wage, and uh, I was I was not um, not spending absolutely nothing, so that that money just in the first six months started to uh, started to bank up, which was uh, which was very good. Which is another all because of uh, TAC. So thanks. All right, back to the book. If you've ever been lucky enough to go to to go on an international flight. You'll know how it works. You say your goodbyes at the gate, walk through a one-way entrance, and you're on your own. Well, I'll tell you. Th- I'll tell you that this is the most petrified I've ever been. I looked back at my parents after after I'd said goodbye, and Mum's face, was full of terror. She was concerned for the sa- safety of her youngest son, her youngest son with an injured brain, who was about. About to go travelling on his own on the other side of the earth. The thought that must have run through her mind then would have been filled with anxiety in its most raw form. I later found out that, that as soon as I left, my family and supporters expected me to call within a matter of weeks, saying I was coming home because I just couldn't do it. Well, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that I would give up. We are now on page 93. I was determined to prove that I could do this on my own. I was on a mission to prove to myself that I was capable of living an independent life like everyone else. This was just another example of the pure determination that the accident pumped into my blood. The doors closing behind me were like the pages of a book. It was at the end of one chapter and the start of another. I was on my own, scared but excited. The only time I had ever caught a plane on my own was a few years earlier, a domestic flight to take me from the scene of the accident to the hospital. Well, we all know how that turned out, so this international flight had me shaking in my boots. It was an odd feeling not to have anyone there to hold my hand. And tell me what to do and how to do it. This was the life I had become accustomed to since my accident. And the life I so desperately wanted to leave behind. Once the nerves had settled, it felt great. I had to use all the tips and tricks that rehab had taught me to survive. The biggest threat was my memory. Not my long term or week to week memory. But my working memory from second to second remembering where i put things was a real problem i had bought a pair of cargo pants that had umpteen on pockets that buttoned up all all snap buttons so i could open them with one hand the hardest part was to remember which pocket i had put what in i had to i had to make sure that everything important went into into pocket 1 everything not as important went into pocket 2 and 3 and my wallet into my back pocket with a button done up it was Im- it was important that i did everything the same every time as my injured brain thrives on repetition it is the key to using my memory categorizing each item also meant that i only had to remember the categories that rather than where I put 10 different things. This is how rehab helped me to retrain my brain. Another threat to my trip was my cognitive dysfunction, which we had worked on endlessly during my rehab. Part and parcel with my cognitive dysfunction was my planning and organisation deficiency. This is one of the most challenging side effects of, an, of a brain injury. The experts at rehab Knew this, so they set travelling tasks for me to do time and time again. This involved going into, out of, and around the city with a therapist to get me used to negotiating my own way around a concrete jungle. We are now on page 94. From my years in rehab, I also learned to take things one step at a time and not to miss any step along the way. It was no, it was no good taking, th- taking step three if I hadn't completed step, step, steps one and two. For this reason, I decided that the, that the trip would work best if I concentrated on checkpoints, individual places I had to get to, or tasks I had to complete, one at a time. Even now, breaking things down in this way helps me to manage complex tasks and stops me from getting overwhelmed. There was only a certain amount that my therapist could do for me. I had to take responsibility for myself, and travelling turned out to be the very best rehab I could have done for both my mental and physical abilities. I gave the custom officer a nervous smile and I couldn't get the words out quickly enough to answer her questions. Where are you going today, sir? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if she sounded like that. Where are you going? Where are you going? She didn't even have an American accent. Where are you going today, sir? Actually, that, uh, maybe I'll put it... Yeah, I'll, she, she, Let's say she had an American accent. Where are you going today, sir? I'm going to Canada on my trip around the world. I've been waiting for this moment for years, but I don't really have the time to tell you why, but trust me when I say I am shitting myself. Okay, well, have a good good trip, sir. Be safe. We touched down in New Zealand, where I transferred to an Air Canada flight. Sitting next, next to me was a lovely woman named Elizabeth and a young bloke named Harry. Harry was so pumped for me because after... I told him my story. He decided that this trip would change my life. We got chatting and before, before you know it, half an hour had passed and we hadn't moved. We were chatting for about 45 minutes before we realised that the planes had still not taken off. Turns out we all had to leave the aircraft and take another. By this time, we were three and a half hours late and catching the bus... I had booked for my arrival in Vancouver. Was getting very close. Uh, just, uh, just going out of the book quickly here, and tell you that I caught, I caught uh, quite a few flights uh, on my trip uh, around the world. And the only flight that was, the only flight that this happened to was this one. So the only flight that I had to actually get off the plane and then get onto another plane. Was was this one? This was only my second flight out of Australia, so it wasn't uh, wasn't the best start to my trip, I guess. I think I spent the whole uh, fifteen or sixteen hour flight from uh, from New Zealand. I think it was Auckland, from Auckland to Vancouver. Absolutely terrified that I'd miss uh, that I'd miss my bus uh, because I was catching. I I'd booked a bus to uh, to pick me up. Uh, I booked a bus to get on uh, in Vancouver, and it was going to take me up to a place called Squamish, which I'll, I'll, I'll probably mention just in just a moment. And uh, and yeah, I, I was just uh, I was I was stressing out because this I'd never done this before, and I was stressing out hard. And I I said something to the uh, to the flight attendant about how stressed I was, and the and Harry, the guy next to me. Played along with it. Uh, not that I was playing along with anything, but he played along with me, I guess. And they they ended up moving us up uh, in the last, probably about the last half an hour. Moved us up to first class so that we could get off first. And that we could get our bags first and we could I could get to my bus. But when the plane touched down... My bags were still in the economy section, so they weren't coming out any quicker. I was just going to be able to get to the carousel quicker, uh, which really didn't uh, didn't make any difference. But maybe the uh, the flight attendant was helping me, uh, helping me not stress as much. Who knows? All right, back to the book. We touched down and panic set in. Wait, waiting, waiting at the luggage carousel, thinking that I would miss my bus. My frustration built up to a point where I was not thinking straight. Anxiety, amplified by my brain injury, started to cloud my vision and what I was going to do. This was not a great start to my trip. I got to Cussons and the lady tore my bags apart, looking, in brackets, I thought, in my anxious state, for anything that she could use to point the finger at me and send me home. I came to the realisation that this was her job and and customs officers everywhere were just trying to make the world a better place. I finally walked outside, missing my bus by about 45 minutes. One of the biggest discoveries I made on my trip was that the the majority of people in most countries were willing to help me if I asked with a smile on my face. I told the guy... At the coach line desk what had happened and he said not to worry eh? we'll just put you on the next one and leaves in two hours. I was heading to a small town called Squamish an hour and a half north of Vancouver to stay with a family friend Joel and his French Canadian wife Marie Eve and their young daughter Mia. Joel and Marie Eve had met while doing what I was about to do a snow season in the mountains. Going out of the book here. Uh, so Joel is uh, Joel is actually the um, the son of a couple that my parents became friends with after they had done a cruise. Uh, they had done a cruise once. Um, not can't remember where that cruise was, but they had done a cruise and they they buddied up with with this other couple and they have been now friends. Uh, For absolutely, for for years. So I went and stayed with Joel. I'd never met Joel before, but I went and stayed with him. Uh, I'd maybe emailed him or messaged him um, online a couple of times. But really, it was going to be just a complete fresh, um, it was a fresh introduction. And I remember when I I, I got off the bus, uh, when I was at Squamish, it was pitch black. And I, it was freezing cold because it was winter, and I didn't have any phone reception. I didn't have any way of contacting him. I had nothing, but uh, luckily for me, he. Uh, I'd sat there for oh, maybe five minutes, and then he ended up picking me up, coming around and picking me up, picking me up in his pickup, and we went back to back to their house. So that was my first little adventure, which wasn't really an adventure, it was a bus ride, but that was my first little uh, little snippet of, uh, of what travelling is going to be like. Okay, back to the book. When I finally arrived, it was nearly 10pm. Fresh Canadian air was filling my lungs and I was excited. Tired, but still excited. On my own at a bus stop, I was unable to believe where life had taken me. I had made it all the way to Canada. I had even made it to Squamish. I had done this on my own, without my mum or anyone else there to help me. Just as, just as I was starting to understand that this was real, Joel arrived to pick me up and take me home to sleep off the jet lag. Going back out of the book here, uh, I, I I I I traversed across the world a whole bunch of times uh, on this trip, and the only time I suffered from jet lag was on the first, the very 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 first trip when I went to Canada, and that uh, I was in bed for for days because I just I had no energy at all. Because of what, uh, what the jet lag had done to me. And then after that, after that, I never, I never, I never felt it again. It's kind of weird. Maybe it's like a, uh, a virus that I became immune to. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, back to the book. Mary Eve was pregnant and on leave from work. So she was able to help me with things like getting a phone SIM card and working out my next move. Having help was actually a bit of a trap because it meant I didn't have to fend for myself. In fact, it felt much like home with people doing things for me, but I was still very grateful for her help. Mary Eve knew a couple, Wayne and Joanne, who lived in Kamloops, the closest town to the mountain of Sun Peaks where I was heading, and they offered to put me up for the night. Okay. I was going to go stay with friends of friends who didn't know my existence until a couple of hours before I left. Okay, I'm going back out of the book again. So we spent, uh, they spent quite a while um, fishing through their phone book on people that they they knew that lived over in, uh, in Kamloops or lived over that way. And it was it was it was uh, I'm really really grateful for what uh, what Joel and Maryev were able to do for me because they their friends had parents that lived in Kamloops and they had got in contact with them to get in contact with their parents and asked if I could go and stay with them so I then made my way over to Kamloops. I caught the Greyhound bus over to Camloops and. Yeah, that was, you know, I was only a few days into my trip and this was already starting to be such an exciting time. And then when I got over, I got over to Kamloops, Wayne was waiting for me in his pickup truck at the bus station. So I got in there, I had never met this guy before, got in there and we started chatting and we didn't really stop chatting uh, all the way home. And then when I got home, when I got to their house, they... (laughs) They had a full plate of food on the table for me to eat. Talk about friendly people. They say Canadians are uh, friendly. The stereotypical uh, Canadian is is a friendly person. But I'll tell you what. They are really friendly. And then... Uh, so I slept at their house and then the next day, instead of catching the bus up to the mountain, they took me up to the mountain. So they took me up to the mountain in their car, which was also awesome. Means that I didn't have to go and catch a bus up to a place that I'd never been before. And, uh, they, they, so they took me up there and then they shouted me lunch. What the, how good's that? So we sat there and had lunch and after that they took me back to the hostel which is where I booked uh, a night to stay in. And that was it. That was the end of my very first week travelling the world. Okay, back to the book. We are now on page 96. I had chosen to go to Sun Peaks because the marketing director there, Annie Haight, had seen a post I had put on www.ski.com, an internet forum, and she was blown away by my story. She knew I was coming to Canada to help out with the adaptive with an adaptive organisation, and wanted me to be a part of the of adaptive sports at Sun Peaks, in bracket ASP. She offered me a season pass for 100 hundred hundred Canadian dollars. I had also read that Sun Peaks had an amazing adaptive program like DWA, Disabled Winter Sports Australia, which had changed my life, and I wanted to see if I could be part of their program as a volunteer. This was this was a real chance this was a real chance to give back. After a 5-hour bus trip, I arrived to be greeted by Wayne in his typical Canadian SUV. I climbed into his truck, ready to pinch myself to make sure I was not in a dream. I was still finding it hard to believe I was really in Canada. A roast dinner was waiting for me, and I was welcomed by these really nice, kind people into their home, 13,000 kilometers away from mine. Well, there you go. I told you that. Told you that story. I woke up the next day, ready to figure out how to get up to the mountain. When Wayne and Joanne, Joanne's ne- next move, blew me away. They took me up to Sun Peaks Resort themselves, and even bought me lunch as well. well I told you that one too. The old memories, not uh, not not doing too bad, is it? Um, i have got to go out of the book here and and, and quickly tell you that um, through this through this uh, this part of the book, I uh, I I I will say a lot of things that I remember, and I tell you what, it's really my memory is not isn't the best as you know, but there is not much that I do not remember from that eighteen months that I spent traveling around the world i can tell you details about things that that i don't even remember remembering uh it's 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 i think that's because i was experiencing everything it was uh, and that's my kinesthetic memory uh coming into play not just my uh, has nothing to do with my working memory uh, i guess i'm not sure maybe it does but my point is that i i i experienced everything that i experienced i got to uh, i got to remember and i was luckily lucky enough to remember um, on top of that um i did actually when i when i when i went away i uh, wrote a diary and i wrote a diary every day so maybe that was why i remember everything that happened around the world because i wrote about it also but that was like I, I don't all of this this whole this whole second part of the book isn't solely from my memory all the stories that i tell you are going to be uh, that i got when i go out of the book are going to be from my memory but um uh, all of the all of the things and the stories that i tell you inside this book were not from my memory they were from a diary that i kept and i kept that diary Every day, and look, I wasn't I wasn't a Nazi on it. It wasn't every single day without fail, but I did keep it. Most days in my trip around the world, I did uh, I did write something, and that just a little little hint of something that happened would just then bring back a whole bunch of memories from that day. So that was how I that was how I remember it. So I guess that's that's actually a good um, a good tip for you if you if you're listening to this and one day you are thinking you might go around the world traveling i highly recommend that you keep a diary keep a diary because you'll be able to, you'll be able to read about this in the years to come and you will instantly take your mind back to that the moment that you were writing that note and that when i was when i was uh, writing the book i got to read over my whole trip and honestly reading over the trip was like living it all over again because there were some things that I forgot happened but I had written about them and it just fluttered back a whole bunch of good memories so there's my tip of the day take a diary when you go traveling around the world okay back to the book this whole traveling thing seemed way too easy I thought but every move I was making was giving me a little bit more independence before I was on my own for good i said my thanks and goodbyes and walked in to the friendly friendly sun peaks international hostel darlene the hostel's owner greeted me and showed me to the showed me the amenities explained the rules and took me to my room darlene was the mother in in quotation marks uh, was the mother of the hostel and she and, and she kept the place running smoothly. Back out of the book, uh, Darlene was uh, Darlene has uh, since actually passed away unfortunately. Um, she was such a, such a caring because she a lot of people that went through the hostel were actually a lot of Australians but there were a lot of travelers and that she 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 knew that a lot of them this was their first time away from from home for such a period of time so she was a very good um, she was a very good uh, rock for a lot of people and we really got along i ended up spending uh, uh which i'm probably going to go into more spending quite a little, lot of time at the hostel through that season and uh she we we me along with the other people that stayed there formed uh, such a great uh such a great bond with her so thanks mama d we're thinking of you uh, we're thinking of you hope you're having a good time up there uh, in heaven which is where we know you will be all right back to the book after i settled in i went down to the kitchen to get a coffee this is the point where the world got a little bit smaller. The first friends I made there were two girls from two girls from Melbourne, Jen and Carly. Jen lived just 10 minutes drive from my house in Melbourne and Carly lived a couple of hours south in Geelong. Jen and Carly became two of my closest friends during my trip. Now, <laughs> I'm going back out of the book again. So now Jen and Carly uh, have actually—they are actually—we're talking—we're uh, talking like seven years later. Uh, they no, eight years later. They are two of uh, two of my really good friends here in Melbourne, and Carly actually lives now on the same uh, in the same suburb as I do. So it's uh, that's that's. That's just a really good thing to be able to share. And she's actually living with uh, her partner who she met this exact season in 2013 at Sun Peaks. Uh, they met they met each other then and they moved uh, came back to Australia and they started living together. and they're still living together and they're on, in my suburb, which I think is pretty cool. All right back to the book. Names are my weakness, and knowing this, I decided to put their names into my phone and re- re- in my phone to reinforce them in my memory. I had been doing this since I had left Australia, and it was working in a way. Most of the time when I read over the names, I could picture the faces that went with them. Jen and Carly thought this was fascinating. So their questions began. I told them a little bit about my accident and what what I was doing there in Canada. This intrigued them and they discovered my whole story by reading online on, by reading online newspaper articles about me and checking my Facebook page. They told me they found my journey amazing and truly inspiration. Truly an inspiration. This was the first time someone had discovered my full story without me chewing their ears off. Later that evening, I discovered that I was sharing a room with a bloke who, believe it or not, lived in Greensboro, the suburb next to my home. I had come to the other side of the globe to share a room with a neighbour. No wonder I didn't completely feel as if I was really travelling yet. On my first Canadian chairlift I was in awe of the scenery. I was actually seeing pine trees covered in snow. The night before had dumped fifty eight centimeters of fresh snow, known as powder or pow in snow sports terms, and the whole mountain was full of it. For a good two handed snowboarder, powder is just heaven. But For an inexperienced one-handed Aussie doing it for the first time, wow, just wow. This was certainly a step up from the bunny hill back home. About four days in, I met Sharon, the president of the not-for-profit organization ASP, Adaptive Sports at Sun Peaks. I explained that DWA had changed my life and I wanted to be part of an organization that gave the same opportunity to people in similar circumstances to those I had been in. We got straight to work and she enrolled me in training to be an adaptive guide. Just going out of the book again. So I got in contact with Sharon through uh, that that girl that I mentioned before, Anne, hate, uh, and I organised to have lunch with her. So, she, so we went out for lunch, and I told her everything about me and everything about uh, DWA and the, my story and everything. And she, um, she, she really took to it, and she was really excited for me to be over there. And we formed a very, very, very good bond, and she became uh, really my. She was like my mum over in Canada along with uh, Veronica Connors who is an Australian lady that goes over every year with her husband to, uh, to Sun Peaks and helps out with Ash and they do, uh, do, they're, they're quite involved with it which I, I formed a very good bond with her as well. Alright, back to the book. Until this meeting... I had been snowboarding every day on the hill and I was starting to get better at controlling my turns and staying on my feet. I was confident enough now to go down the mountain with a participant. The first participant I met was a Canadian quadriplegic named Robin. He was my age and had been in a car accident seven years prior to this. Back before his accident, Robin was a Robin was a top snowboarder in the British Columbia halfpipe team. But he had not been on the snow since. I can clearly picture I can clearly picture the grin on his on his face after his first day on the on the, on the sit ski in brackets a sit ski is used for people with lower limb difficulties and we are now on page 98. I remember it, I'm, I remember it well because I had the same, f- same feeling a couple of years before. I had lunch with Robin and his, his girlfriend Miranda and their family and shared my story with them. There was an instant connection between us. I knew from that moment on I loved the adaptive sports program at Sun Peaks. I, had... I did have one problem though. I couldn't exactly guide anyone on a sit-ski as my arm problems meant I couldn't control them from, from my snowboard. Instead, I became a tail gunner. In other words, I was crowd control. Two tail gunners followed behind on either side of a sit ski, protecting the participant say, from, say, an out-of-control kid skiing nearby. My other job, which I took great pride in, was as the ASP photographer. Over the season, I took many photos of smiling participants and looking back at pictures now still makes me so happy. Sorry. Uh, Just going out of the book quickly, uh, I'm probably going to go into this uh, a bit more through the rest of the book uh, about my photography. And I... uh, So I won't go too far into it now, but I will... I will... Uh, make an effort to put up uh, my travel photos on my web page so if you want to go check check all them out uh, you can go and have a look at uh, at the show notes of each episode at www.scottbharris.com.au forward slash podcast and you can have a look at the show notes and have a look at the the all of the pictures pictures that I took Right, back to the book. In my mind, finding accommodation in a share house at Sun Peaks was going to be easy. Well, most people had booked accommodation prior, prior to coming. Not me. I was in the category of homeless, which may have been fine if I had a mate with me like every other person on the mountain, but I was alone and housing was sacred. By not booking ahead... I had taken myself out of the the shallow end of the pool and thrown myself head first into the deep end. This was the first time I had started to feel alone. This feeling grew as everyone moved out of the hostel and I felt very lonely. It was the beginning of a spiral downwards as I was super vulnerable since the accident. When things were going well, everything was fine. But when things were going bad, I felt much, much worse. My mind finds it hard to stop once it gets started. If everything is going great guns, my social anxiety is okay. But if something goes wrong, then social anxiety takes hold of me. A situation may occur that will lead to a negative thought, which will then lead to a negative emotion. The feelings should vanish. The feelings should vanish when I get over this situation. However. That's part of where my brain. Trips up. The feeling doesn't seem to vanish. Quite, quite so quickly. You see. Uh, the un- unwelcomed emotions. Feed back into my thoughts. Which cause more bad feelings. We are on page 99. Once the cycle starts. It becomes like a train. Running in overdrive that is hard to pull up and stop. To this day, I find it difficult not to think tirelessly about things and not to hold on to things. I will, grip onto, I will grip on so tightly to some negative emotions that I won't let go. I've been known to hold on to things for years at a time. With my neuropsychologist, this is something I am working on on eradicating through the use of cognitive behaviour therapy. While everyone was making lots of friends at the resort, I wasn't. This was partly because I, was, I wasn't I was working yet. I had applied for my working holiday visa before I left, but it failed to come through, so I was jobless and friendless. By about mid-December, I was really starting to miss home. The brutality of the past four years had beaten my self-confidence down to a very insecure low, and my head was in the wrong place. If someone ignored me, I decided that the whole world was against me. My mind bypassed all of the goodness in people, and all of the good things in my life, and social anxiety began to rear its head. as christmas came closer the hostile rooms started to fill up this meant that i had to find a house or i would be i would soon be spooning with the bears i started to ask around ask put me in touch with the local real estate agent on the hill she gave me a list of doors i could knock on and people i could speak to so off i went i hit the road on foot and started knocking on doors with a cover letter. She helped me write, explaining my circumstances. I also started asking random people and businesses in our uh, business owners in the village. I was getting desperate when I walked into a shop and told the woman behind the counter my situation. We have a couch you can you can crash on if you want, she said. $80 a week. So that going out of the book, that was the um, that was the bakery that I walked into, and she, her and a friend were living together. And they said that uh, I could go and crash on their couch, which was pretty cool. Okay, back to the book. A bit steep for a, a bit steep for a couch, but those words were like music to my ears. I was safe for now, but after two days in a house, I was physically sickened by the state these girls lived in. The pile up of dirty dishes made the kitchen sink unusable and you don't want to know what the bathroom was like. I needed out. The girls were never there, so I had, I had no company. This was my new low. We are now on page 100. Back I went to the village to talk to more, talk to more people. I quickly figured out that the trick to getting things in life was to start talking. I was offered another couch for a couple of nights, but it was still not a fix to my housing. The days were shorter, it was getting colder, and I was feeling lonelier. Before I left Australia, I had it in my mind that this trip would be a magic fix for me. Like a heavy duty aspirin for a niggling headache goodbye social anxiety I thought that once I was overseas I wouldn't have to deal with all my emotions anymore what I failed to realize was that there were no there was no quick fix I would have to have to work at it and kill the demons myself if you have ever experienced any emo, any emotional turmoil you will know that the that the, that that the talk that goes on in your head can be agonising. Seeking help at this point is a good idea. However, I didn't have to. I didn't have my psychologist there to help me. I didn't have my tribe there to comfort me, and I didn't have my re, have the rehab staff telling me what to say and how to act. I was up. It was up to me on my own to pull myself out of the whirlwind of my thoughts. It was up to me to make myself feel better and to change my mindset. I started spending more time with people who made me feel good and less time with people who didn't add to my emotional well-being. There are always always going to be people in our lives who don't like us and we may come up against them. We may come up against adversity. This is so debilitating And it takes a lot of power to get through it. But if you are experiencing this, you need to think about what's on the other side of the wall. The hard part is climbing that wall, only to be faced with another one. You must keep climbing because believe me, you will will climb the last wall one day and you'll be free. There were lots of times throughout my trip, after my accident really, that that I battled demons inside my head. The best advice I can give you if you feel this way too is to keep running the race with the blinkers on because one day you won't be running. Be mindful of the right here and the right now and don't concentrate on the past or the future. Marathon runners don't concentrate on the finish line. They focus on putting one foot in front of the other. My escape was photography. When things weren't going well for me, I could hide behind the lens of my Nikon D7000. This was particularly important when I was getting when I wasn't getting the attention I thought I, I was entitled to. I decided that if people weren't pl- weren't paying me attention, then they must they mustn't like me. This led to feelings of loneliness and a cycle of wanting attention, the feeling, the feel, then feeling lonely again. I believed that people, I believed that people didn't like who I was, because I had a brain injury. Whether whether this was justified or not was irrelevant to me. So many of my thoughts were not justified, because they didn't stop circling like a pack of wolves. This was the feeling. This was the feeling that my psychologist in Melbourne had worked, had worked so hard to eliminate. I realised later that this was a total misconception in my head. There were, many, there were many people who liked me and included me, but because I was concentrating so hard on what I didn't have, I was missing all of the positive things that I, that I did have. Photography was my way to close down my negative thoughts. When I was taking photos, I had a distraction, and I was on my own, so the chance of saying something stupid to embarrass myself was nil. The more more it worked for me, the more more I would do it. Photography ended up becoming a harmless hobby that took me away from some pretty brutal thoughts. It was a great tool to re- to relieve the pressure of my inner battles. I enjoyed going to Sun Peaks Terrain Park to shoot snaps of anyone doing anything. I discovered that this was, this was a good way to make friends too. I got talking to, to one dude there who was from Melbourne and, believe it or not, had gone to the same school as I did. He was six years younger than me, so I don't think we crossed paths then. But meeting him was like meeting an old mate because we had so much in common. Christmas could have been a really lonely time for my thoughts and me. But then I started getting invitations to parties. All of a sudden, I felt included in other in other people's lives. Jen and Carly had moved... Into a room in the staff accommodation and held a little Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve dinner. Their room was barely big enough for two, let alone seven giant kids having a party. But we made do and had a great night with great company. At the end of part one, I had a picture of uh of of the group of the of that that night, and I described it to you. So if you Go back and listen to that episode, you will see that picture. But I'll put that picture up in the show notes as well. Alright, back into the book. Uh, this was my first white Christmas, and I really don't care how childish this sounds. It was magical. To wake up on Christmas Day with snow covering the village was a far cry from a hot summers, hot summer's day around the pool with Santa. In brackets, otherwise known as dad. Okay, we are on page 102. Over the next week, I really discovered my passion for photography in the snow and bought a mini tripod. This meant that I could shoot at night without having to find a suitable face to sit the camera on. So most nights during the week, that's what I did. I would get lost in the village behind the safety of my lens. My snowboarding was getting better each day. I was beginning to get on top of my emotions, and I was starting to make make friends. I realised that 2013 was going to be a memorable year for me. That was the end of uh, that. There's the end of chapter 11. Now I'll quickly read out before I before I finish up. I'm going to quickly read out um, the first, first first paragraph of the next chapter again, like I did uh, in part one, just to help you understand that my reading skills are not what they sound like. Uh, un, uh, not what they sound like when they're unedited. Okay, here we go. The new year came and it was it was time to move. My tribe were, were all flying to Hawaii for Dad's 60th birthday and I decided to surprise him by going too. Mum took care of all my flights as she had worked as she had worked in in the travel industry and knew what she was doing. I what she was doing. I also think she helped me because she she I also think she helped me because the general consensus seemed to be seemed to be that my brain my injured brain meant I was I wasn't capable of doing things for myself shit <clears throat> I I was really hoping I, I, I was really hoping that my trip would change this perception, but with Mum still holding my hand, it was a challenge. That was painful. I've been reading now for this uh, this chapter. This chapter has now taken me an hour. An hour and twenty-three minutes to uh, to to get through. Uh, so I'm going to have to edit all that out. But it, uh, I've been so I've been reading for an hour, and my my brain is at the moment. It pretty much it feels like it's fried. So that's it for that chapter. The next chapter is called Surprise, uh, and it's when I go to uh, when I go over to Hawaii. Um. That's it for this week. If uh, if you'd like to hit me up, as I said earlier, uh, you can you can find me at the injured brain. Type it in Facebook. Type it in Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, wherever you want. Type it in there, and you'll find uh, you'll find me, and you'll be able to connect with me and send me some love. Send me uh, send me send me a message or two. Uh, send me whatever, you want to send me, send me some, send me some good vibes, so next, uh, next week when I'm reading out, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll read, read better, actually, that's not going to happen, because I've pre-recorded these, so I've already recorded, uh, next week, sorry, um, yeah, that's about it, and uh, I'm not going to keep rambling on, until next week, uh, you do you, and I'll do me, stay real, uh, Don't do anything that I wouldn't do. Um, Be friendly to people. Uh, Be very kind to your parents. Be very kind to your kids. Be very kind to your best friend. Um, Oh, yes, one more thing. Pay it forward. Do something kind for somebody else this week. And the world will be a better place for you and me. Okay, that's it. I'm out. See ya. thanks for tuning in to the crashing into potential podcast i really appreciate your support you guys are the reason that i do this so if you haven't already hit me up at the injured brain wherever you get your social media fix and please don't forget to rate review and share this podcast to help me spread my message far and wide see you in the next episode